0: Well, praise God. It is wonderful to worship our great God in song this morning. If you would, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29, uh, verses 1 through 30. We're continuing in our study of Genesis today, this amazing saga of how the world began and how the redemption story unfolded. I'm not going to give you the full review like I did last week, uh, but I do want you to remember where we are um, in this story. We've seen Abraham, we've seen his son Isaac, and then now we come to Jacob. Jacob was the younger brother who, who uh, robs his brother Esau more or less of both his uh, birthright and the blessing that he uh, certainly the blessing that he, he um, was meant to get. And so we see uh, Jacob is now fleeing for his life. He's, uh, his, him, his mom and himself have told Isaac, hey, I need to go get a wife uh, from our, our family out, out in the east, out in Haran, out, uh, Laban's family. And so that's where he's headed, but he's really fleeing for his life. Now, last week, uh, we saw that God intervenes in this. God steps in and gives Jacob some incredible Promises if you 'll remember uh, God gives him just you know face to face, if you will, the promises given to Abraham are now given to Jacob, uh, Abraham, then Isaac, and now Jacob is the carrier of the Abrahamic covenant, but God gives additional promises. I will uh, be with you, I will keep you, I will uh, bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have accomplished all that I have promised you. But then we see Jacob respond, and that's what we looked at last week, was Jacob responds uh, in a way that shows he doesn't quite understand God. He doesn't understand grace, that God is, is blessing him. He doesn't understand his position under God, that God is majestic and glorious, that God is sovereign. He is in control of each and every detail. God is able to work out his good plan without Jacob's help. But Jacob responds by by saying, well, God, if you do these things, then you will be my God. Then this place where I have set this stone will be your house and then I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. And so we saw that Jacob had a bad understanding of God. He saw himself as almost a peer with God, like he could bargain with God. But the fact is, he never needed to bargain with God. God was trying to graciously pour out these blessings, and Jacob made it into a business deal because he saw a little God, and he saw himself as, as big. And as I mentioned last week, these things really matter. Your theology, what you think about God, and what you think about yourself really matters because it's not just answers on a test. It will dictate the way you live your life. It will dictate whether you fall under God's blessed guidance, under God's blessed hand, or if you have to run uh, the, the rugged road, the rough road. It will dictate whether or not your life is actively worshiping, actively glorifying God, and actively enjoying God. It really will. Your theology really matters. So last week we saw that uh, Jacob has this bad theology, and so he leaves that um, vision and conversation that he has with God and continues on his trip. And so now we're going to see how his life continues to unfold here in Genesis 29 verses 1 through 30. So let's read that together. Genesis 29 verses 1 through 30. So you just had that scene of of, uh, God speaking to him and him responding. We come here, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, "Behold, it, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. water the sheep and go pasture them." But they said, "We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep." While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban's mother, uh, mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob, came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, He ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, "'Surely you are my bone and my flesh,' and he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, "'Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be?' Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel." Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, "'Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed.' "'So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. "'But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. "'Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter, his daughter Leah to be her servant. "'And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. "'And Jacob say, said to Laban, "'What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel?' Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. That is God's word. That's what we will study today. Let's, let's pray and ask God to help us. <clears throat> Father God, we come to this text desiring to hear from you. And God, we see uh, this kind of tragic scene unfold before us. And Lord, we want to learn from you. God, I pray that you would help all of us in this room today to to hear from your word, to see it uh, in our Bibles. God, these principles that you lay before us, these examples that you lay before us, that we might walk in the good ones that are pleasing and faithful to you and reject those that are dishonoring and faithless toward you. Lord, I pray that you would do this all for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come here really to a, uh, a, a crazy story. We have uh, this, this, this travel, this journey. He finally reaches his uh, end destination. We see a love story. We see deceit of the highest degree, but as we'll see, God's hand is in it all. I want to draw your attention here uh, to the fact that there's this well of water, okay? Jacob comes to this well of water, and if you read through the book of Genesis, especially through the patriarchs, you will see that wells, these water wells, are kind of a major theme in the Bible. They're kind of a place that that many events happen in the Bible. And I think the reason that is, that the wells are always mentioned, is we're meant to compare and contrast these different events that happen. And let me just show you this a little bit. In chapter 16, Ishmael's mother, remember uh, Abraham took Ishmael, his his, uh, wife's servant, and went into her. And so Ishmael's uh, mother, Hagar, has a vision uh, of God at a well. Then, in chapter 21, God saves Hagar and Ishmael's lives by opening her eyes to this well of water, and they get a drink. So, those two could be compared. We're not going to do that now. Uh, Again, in chapter 21, we see Abraham and King Abimelech having this dispute over a well, and we see how that one unfolds. But then, In chapter 26, we see Isaac having a very similar dispute uh, with a different king, Abimelech. He's a, a descendant of the first king, Abimelech. But the ways that they handle these things are different. The way Abraham handles this dispute is different than the way Isaac handles the dispute. And we're meant to compare and contrast and draw conclusions from those things. And we really can learn a lot simply by comparing these well encounters. And so the question is, we see Jacob come to this well, and there he, he meets this woman. Is that, does that remind you of any other well experience in the Bible? Well, it really should remind you of what happened just a few chapters back in chapter 24. We see Abraham's servant, this is Abraham's servant, is sent over to the very same area, out to the east, to, his, his, uh, to Abraham's family, his kinsmen, to find a wife for Isaac. Do you remember that? And he comes up to this well and that's where uh, he meets Rebecca and there's just all these great things that happen. But this is just so similar. Now we see Jacob headed over to the east and he finally gets there and then he comes to a well and this is where he meets Rachel. And we are meant to compare and contrast these two well scenarios and I think there's a lot we can... um, drag from it, because, I mean, the similarities are stunning if you, if you read the full passages uh, back to back, but it's really the differences that should catch our eyes. It's the differences between these two well experiences. So before we look any more at chapter 29, I want to show us a little of what happened there in chapter 24 so that we can, you know, adequately compare them and contrast them. So just looking at chapter 24, verses 10 through 14, again, Abraham has sent this servant to go find a wife Uh, from, from, from uh, out east. And so he's going, and we see here verse uh, 10. Then the servant, this is chapter 24, verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. He arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So here he is at a well. This is the first time he comes up. He's just just arriving. And he said, the servant said this, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and whom shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Then let's skip down to verse 24. All of that happens, by the way. Uh, Rachel comes out. Just so happens that Rachel, uh, one of the family uh, members, is is there. Or sorry, Rebecca comes out. Uh, and, And then she answers and does all the things that he prayed that would happen to show that it was the right woman. And so this is what he did. Verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman." So what do we learn about Abraham's servant from that? Well, we learn first that he is keenly aware of God, right? He is keenly aware that God is is in the heavens and that he does all that he pleases, right? That God is in control, intimately in control. Therefore, before he moves forward, he stops and prays. God, would you please show steadfast kindness and faithfulness to my my master Abraham? Would you give me wisdom as to if this is the woman, if this is the woman that I should really bring back for Isaac, Lord, if if it's the woman, let this take place so that I will know that you have shown steadfast love to your servant. And then we see after this prayer for wisdom from God and guidance from God, he worships God when God answers the prayer. Right? So he prays a prayer, then he sees God, I mean, just really in a crazy way. We could look back all at it. But the fact that she is willing to give him water, then water his camels also is incredible. And so he sees that and he worships God. God, you have shown this steadfast love, you have shown this kindness, you have led me in the way. You have led me to where I need to be, to the person I need to be. So he is keenly aware of God. He is praying to God, relying on God, and he is worshiping and enjoying God as he works these things out. Sadly, we cannot say the same thing for Jacob. We cannot say the same thing for Jacob. And that leads us to number one, by the way, if you'd like to write anything down. Jacob forgot God. Whereas Abraham's servant remembers God, prays to God, worships God, relies on God, Jacob forgot God. We'll see three proofs of that. We'll see three proofs of that in chapter 29. Uh, the, The first one isn't so much what Jacob did, but what he did not do. Jacob never prays. If you want to write that down, Jacob never prays once. Did he pray? Maybe but it seems odd that in the, the parallel passage, right, the, of this well encounter, the parallel passage, we see the Abraham's servant prays, but we hear nothing of, of Jacob praying. He never uh, asks God for wisdom. He never says, God, I, I need you to guide me in the way. I need you to give me success. We see him relying on himself. We see him trusting in his own uh, intellect, his own wisdom and his own ability to maneuver and make this situation work the way he wants it to work. So, uh, that's the first thing. Jacob never prays. The second thing we see is Jacob wants his own way. You remember uh, Abraham's servant says, God, here's this test that I want you to show me if this is the girl that you want for Isaac. There's going to be a woman that comes out to this well, but I want the one that you want for Isaac. Jacob, on the other hand, uh, listen to this in verses 9 and 10. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as J- Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, it's romantic. I get it. It's a great gesture. Guys, water a woman's uh, animals. I don't know. Uh, that's not exactly. But this is good, really. That, that he's doing this. But here's what I see: is this guy who never prayed, never asked for guidance, he is now the one trying to make his way happen. Think about this: the test that Abraham's servant gave uh, asked God to fulfill was that this woman would not only give him a drink of water, but that she would water his animals. You remember that? That she would water my camels. Here we see Jacob is the one. He doesn't give her a drink of water as far as we know. Maybe he did. But it's Jacob who goes and waters her animals. He's not waiting for God to show a sign. He's forcing the sign. Does that make sense? He's forcing this relationship to happen. He's saying, basically, in effect, this is the one I want and I'm going to make it happen. Again, we don't see him consult God at all. Lord, is this the one? Is, is this the one that I should marry, that I should unite myself with? No, he just takes action. He takes uh, initiative, which again can be a good thing, but it is not a good thing when we are overstepping God. And we're supposed to be comparing this, that he does the thing that the woman was supposed to do in, uh, in the last you know, event, well event, to show that she was the right one. He's forcing God's hand, if you will, but I would say he's not actually forcing God's hand. I think he's more or less forgotten God at this point. He wants his own way, he wants to do his own thing. He doesn't really care if it's God's uh, best for him. The third thing that we see here is Jacob never thanks God. You remember that? With Abraham's servant, he prays, then God answers, then he, he stops and he worships God and he praises him. You, God, have given me success. You have led me in the way. We never see, see Jacob do that. God has never even mentioned here. Not even mentioned. He's, he's not even a footnote in Jacob's story. No, I came to this well. I'm the one who, who found this woman, and I'm the one who's going to make this relationship work. So he sees no reason to give glory to God. Now let me ask you, do you think God deserves some credit here? Let me just give you some evidence of just how much uh, credit God deserves here. Um, in verse 1, this is 29, verse 1 it says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. It doesn't get much more ambiguous than that. Uh, Jacob is from the west, and now he's in the east, where the people of the east are. The the whole point there of that ambiguous language, normally the Bible is not that ambiguous about a location. He doesn't know where he is, okay? He's he's not like, okay, now I've landed in my destination. I've I've, I've made my way. He came to to the land of the people of the east. He doesn't even know where he is. Then we see in verse 4, he doesn't even know if he's with the right people. He says, Uh, Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? (laughs) This is a question. Where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. Now, it just so happens that Haran is exactly the place he needs to be because that's where Laban lives. So, that's our first uh, indication that God is working here. God has led him to the right area and to the right people, okay? Okay? He didn't know where he was going. Then look at verses 5 and 6. It just gets all that much more uh, uh, obvious that God is is the one making all this happen. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Okay, okay. Let's just think about this for a second. It just so happens that that Jacob stumbles upon this particular place. He comes to this particular well at this particular time when the shepherds were coming, which, by the way, was unusual for them to come in the middle of the day. And that's what he says. You should take them back out to pasture. It's, it's still high noon. Like, they shouldn't be at the well right now. So he's there at the, the right time when they are coming, even though they shouldn't be. And it just so happens that Rachel, the daughter of Laban, the exact type of woman he's looking for, is approaching when he gets there. I'm sorry, if, if that's not God, I'm not sure what is. Uh, this is clearly God giving him success. But he, all we hear on the praise side of things is just radio silence. Cool, this worked out for me. Good. I pulled it off. That's how Jacob feels. He gives no thanks to God. Why? Because he has forgotten God, even though it is so obvious that God is working for him. God is giving him success, but he is self-reliant. He wants his own way, and he is thankless to God. I kind of want to, before we even go on to the next point, I want to bring this uh, to ground level for just a moment. When I think about my life, when I think about my relationship with God, realizing that I am creature, He is creator, I am finite, He is infinite, He is glorious, and I am but a weak candle because He has lit me, whatever that means. I I am a a faint reflection of His glory. For me, the greatest joy in my life is seeing what God is doing in this world and giving Him thanks. Thanks. I mean, you can maybe think about this for your own life. You come into a situation and and you pray to God, God, I need this from you. God, I I need you to mend this relationship. I need you to to help me with this thing at work or school or or in my family. God, I need you to to work out this financial situation. I, I need you. And then you see God answer in miraculous ways. Maybe not miraculous in the way we might think of, you know, and then a million dollars just shows up in your bank account. That's not what I'm talking about. But you say, man... At the perfect time, I showed up at the perfect place right when this person was there and all these things, these problems kind of melted away. And in that moment, we get to say, thank you, God. God, thank you for for working for me. Thank you for doing this in better, greater ways than I had even asked for, better ways than I could have even imagined on my own. And we get to glorify God and worship God in those moments. And I'm telling you, if you don't get to do that, you are missing out on one of the greatest things in life. And let me tell you, you are missing out on the thing you were created for. We were created to acknowledge, to rely upon, and to glorify the God of the universe. And as we do that, we are finding our deepest, most fulfilling, most satisfying joy. And Jacob missed out on it. Again, we read these verses, and and from our perspective, we say, it's so obvious that God led him there. It's so obvious that God brought Rachel there. This is incredible. But he doesn't even see it. He doesn't get the joy of worshiping God. Is he maybe happy? Yeah, sure, he's happy. He found a, a pretty girl. Cool. But he missed the greater joy of glorifying God for that good and perfect gift. Do you understand that? You might have little flickers of happiness in your life, but those flickers of happiness can be inflamed as you acknowledge God as the giver of that joy, as the giver of that gift. And in that, God receives glory. We receive joy. But that's kind of my question for you. Do you... So you remember, in the last chapter, Jacob set up a pillar to God. He consecrated it with oil, and, you know, and he talks with God, and now he walks away from that and completely forgets about God. I wonder how many of us do the exact same thing. We build our little pillar. We go to church. We attend our small group. We say our perfunctory prayer before meals, Right? but then we live our normal everyday life as though God doesn't even exist. I know I do it, but it's sin. It's robbing God of the glory he deserves, but it's also robbing us of the joy God desires us to experience. We want our own way, but God has a better way. We want uh, to rely on ourselves, but God is the only one to be relied upon. We want to pat ourselves on the back, but God deserves all the thanks and all the glory. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 8, you know these verses, say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Does life seem joyless? Does life seem flat? Are you always having to look for the next little high, the next little happiness, the next thing that you think will fulfill you? Let me tell you, trust the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways acknowledge him. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Too many of us are like Jacob, and we forget God. Now, Jacob, by the way, isn't thinking, you know what, I'm just going to ignore God. He's not making that decision, but what the decision he is not making is, I'm going to acknowledge God. He, it's what he's not doing that, that counts. He's not acknowledging God, and that is what we must do, acknowledge God and all our ways. So we see this about Jacob. He's missing out on on this greatest responsibility and greatest privilege of worshiping, glorifying, and enjoying the God of the universe because he has forgotten him. But thankfully, here's where where things turn a little bit. God is not done with him. Thankfully, God is not done with him because, I mean, it'd been real easy for Jacob to think, I've done it. I've lived a self-reliant life and I've pulled it off. I've done wrong things. I've swindled my brother. I've lied to my father and it worked. (laughs) I got the birthright. I got the blessing. Now I'm going to get the girl and I'm going to live happily ever after. What would I need God for? But God is not going to make it so easy for him. That's number two. Now we see God's grace. God complicates Jacob's courtship. I don't know if people still use the word courtship these days, but I'm using it. Courtship is dating, relationship, whatever, his love life. God complicates Jacob's courtship. He does not make it so easy on him that he can continue and not acknowledge God. I will say that things don't turn right at the end of this chapter. Jacob does not all of a sudden become a faithful man, but God is working on him. So let's Look at all the ways God is working on him. The three ways God complicates things for Jacob. And these are just glaring uh, in, in this passage. But what I want you to notice is not only does God complicate things for Jacob, there's a poetic justice to each of the complications. Jacob has committed a crime of faithlessness, and God uh, repays him in kind. Right? The, the, the punishment fits the crime, if you will. Uh, but God is using it for his good. So let's look at those three ways that God complicates things for Jacob. First, Jacob becomes a servant. Jacob becomes a servant. Now, you likely remember that Jacob had kind of uh, mistreated his brother Esau... And if you think about it, Esau was the firstborn in a patriarchal, very wealthy uh, family, literally the patriar- uh, pa- family of patriarchs, these, these uh, leaders of God's redemptive plan. And he was to be the firstborn with the blessing and with the rights. And uh, I don't want to go too much into this, but the firstborn, in that day especially, uh, they would carry on the the, the the name, the family name, if you will. And they would be in authority over the rest of the family that would live in camp with them. They would be uh, boss over the family enterprise. So Isaac had many flocks and all this wealth, and so he would uh, become... Uh, Esau was to become the boss over that. And they were even expected to lead the family spiritually. So Esau was at one point you know, set to be the leader. And he's already living in a patriarch's house, so he's being served, I can tell you that. But Jacob takes that away from him. He takes away the birthright. He takes away the blessing. In effect, he demotes Jacob to the position of a servant. But in addition to that, we see Esau, um, in addition to Esau, Jacob actually demoted God in the last chapter. He made God a servant. You remember, God says, I'm going to do these things for you. God's gracious. He's, he's just saying, I, I want to bless you in these ways. And he says, Well, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. So he's put God in the position of servant. It's crazy that he's done this, but that's exactly what he's done. But then we come to verse uh, 14 and 15 here in chapter 29, and we we look at Jacob, the way he is demoted. And Laban said to him, to Jacob, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, that may sound generous to you, Laban saying, "Oh, since you're my kinsman, I'd like to pay you for your service." It's not generous. It's not generous. It is what Laban is basically saying is, "You've been here for a month. It's time for you to start earning your keep. It's time for you to start paying your own way. There's no free ride here. You're not going to just bum off uh, uh, Uncle Laban. It's not the way it's going to work." Now think about this. Remember Abraham how he had taken Lot under his wing when they left uh, Ur of the Chaldees. And they, I mean, he had supported him and helped him, but no, Laban says, you know what, You're, if you want to stay here, you can work for me and, and I'll pay you. This is not generous. Again, you think about uh, uh, Jacob. Jacob has grown up in the patriarchal family, wealthy. He would have been one of the most wealthy. You see kings, fearing the family of isaac and he is you know uh one of the, the sons of isaac He has never served a day in his life <laughs> he has only been served there were servants and now laban says you can serve me if you want to stay here you can be a servant so that's the first poetic justice We saw Jacob demoted Esau. Jacob even tried to demote God to the position of servant. And now Jacob receives this position of servant. Now, the next way we see God complicate things, Jacob gets a raw deal. He gets a bad deal here. His wages are are not fair, if you will. Now, I want to uh, remind you, Had Jacob ever given anyone else a raw deal, a a bad deal? That he maybe made someone pay too high a price for something because he was taking advantage of them in their weak moment? Of course, Uh, in in chapter 25, we saw this, uh, 25 verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, "'Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted.'" Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Now again, we need to remember what is involved in a birthright. The birthright of the firstborn meant that that firstborn would receive a double inheritance. So whatever Jacob would receive from, from Isaac, uh, Esau was to receive double that. Isaac was an incredibly wealthy man. Do you think that that double inheritance was worth slightly more than a bowl of stew? I mean, you think about that. A little Campbell's uh, you know, can of stew that ends up, you know, we look at it and it's like, oh, 1973, I should probably get rid of that one. You know, like, We don't even care about these things. They're, they're, they're cheap. He sells his whole birthright, or, or rather, Jacob extorts him. Jacob takes advantage of him in his weakness as he's exhausted. Sell me your birthright now. Swear to me now. Yes, Jacob had given Esau an incredibly raw deal. But now we turn again to Genesis 29, verses 16 through 20. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak so this is, uh, she's kind of boring in appearance, uh, according to, to this. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, daughter Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So he accepts. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love uh, he had for her because of the love he had for her. Now, it's interesting. Jacob is the one who suggests this price of seven years of of work. And Jacob, you know, admittedly, it says it seemed but a few days to him. So he seems to handle this raw deal quite well, but it doesn't make it a bad deal. I mean, you, you see even the way Laban responded. He says, it is better that I give her to you than that I give her to any other man. Yes, it is better. It is better that you give her to this man who who is uh, one of your your father's relatives who who you can trust. Yes, it is better. But yes, I'll, I'll go ahead and take you up on that seven years thing. Laban did not have to receive this bride price. By the way, a bride price, the purpose for it was was for protection of uh, that that woman and for the family in case uh, the man were to divorce her or to die prematurely. She would have to be taken back into the father's house, and that bride price would be to pay to, to, you know, to to keep her, if you will, uh, to provide for her but a normal bride price in those days, uh, this is what historians say, a normal bride price in those days would have equaled to about three and a half years uh, wages. About three and a half years uh, wages of a normal, you know, bottom-rung laborer could pay the normal uh, bride price. Jacob is having to pay seven years, double the price. Now, Laban could have easily, and I I wonder if, if Jacob wasn't thinking this. Well, I'll say seven years, and he'll say, no, 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 just take her. Or maybe he'll just say, you know, just serve me for a year. Or just serve me even three and a half years, you know, the normal bride price. Pay, pay me this amount. But he says, oh, it's better that, that uh, you know, she be with you than any other man. Yeah, I'll take that deal, seven years. So he gets this raw deal. He has to work two times, pay double this uh, exorbitant uh, uh, amount here. it means been seven years of his life to pay this bride price. But it doesn't stop there, does it? God's not done teaching lessons. The third thing we see is Jacob gets tricked. Oh, poetic justice. <laughs> Jacob is the heel grabber. He is the deceiver. He's the swindler. He's the conniver. I mean, of course he had tricked people. Again, he had taken advantage of Esau into selling his birthright in that weak moment, but he had certainly tricked his father in order to get the blessing of the firstborn as well. You remember that? I mean, it wasn't just this like, oh, I accidentally got the blessing of the firstborn. He lies to his father at least three times about, about his identity. Uh, no, no, this I am Esau, your firstborn. Well, how did you get back so quickly, you know, with the the meal that you were to prepare for me? Well, God gave me success in the way. So He lies to his father, Isaac. He wears his brother's clothes so that he will smell like his brother. By the way, I forgot to mention this. Isaac was going blind at this time, so he couldn't see, um, or sorry, Jacob, yeah, Isaac was going blind, so he couldn't see Jacob. Uh, to, so the smell would be what he'd have to go by. And then he put goat skins on his hands and on his neck so that when Isaac were to touch him, he would feel the roughness and the hairiness of the skin and so feel like he is giving this blessing to Esau. And of course, the meal was made exactly like he expected from Esau. And so Jacob pulls off the trick of the century. But... God was not going to be outwitted. <laughs> Verses 21 through 30. This is uh, after Jacob has served Laban seven years. It says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to. Uh, to his daughter Leah, to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. I'll, I'll just pause there. I mean, th- this, is, this is, if poetic justice were ever there, this is it. This is it. Because Jacob is getting tricked in almost the same way, even, as he had tricked Isaac. You think about it. Isaac's eyes were going dim, and he clothes himself with his brother's clothes and clothes himself uh, with with these animal skins. And he he you know he lies blatantly to his father. And here we see uh, may, may, maybe three ways Laban uh, deceived Jacob. Here, first he knew that Leah would be wearing a veil. So in the same way, uh, Jacob covered himself with with Esau's clothes and with this uh, goat skin. Leah is covering her face. Remember, it's her eyes that were dull. (laughs) That was her most striking or not striking feature. Well, those eyes are covered by a veil. Laban knew that. Second, he waited until evening, until darkness, to give away the bride. So while Isaac had darkness in his eyes because of blindness, Laban waited for literal darkness so that he couldn't recognize which Uh, which daughter it was. And then Laban had thrown a feast, and I'm betting they served more than food and water. (laughs) Uh, I I am betting that uh, Jacob is a tad sauced up here. He's not a stand-up fellow from what we see here. So it is most likely that at his uh, wedding feast, he's uh, tipsy at at least and, and drunk at worst and so he doesn't recognize that he is uh, taking the wrong daughter as his bride, and Laban knew that. Laban is the one who threw the feast. I can just imagine him, Here, let me fill your glass, Jacob. Laban is tricking him in almost the same way as Jacob had tricked his father. And oh, the ramifications. Seven years of his life, and now he has this wife that he did not even want in the first place. And we'll talk next week about how Leah is brought in the mix there and she's a, a victim here. But of course, Laban makes some lame excuse. Oh, that's not how we do things around here. It's not it's not customary for us to, to marry the younger before the firstborn, blah blah blah. But you can still have Rachel you can still have her, you know, we'll go ahead and give her to you you now after you finish the week. They had a customary week, kind of a honeymoon, if you will, uh, a week, and then, then he was going to give Rachel to him, but then you can serve me another seven years of your life. Jacob was tricked. Everything looked like it had worked. Jacob could be faithless to God, he could think little of God, he could rely on himself rather than God, he could think only himself rather than God. He could trick people, he could walk in whatever sin he wanted and things were going to work out okay for him. But God loved him more than that. Do you understand that? These complications are not God's hatred, they are God's kindness, they are God's grace. This poetic justice, the, the, the very way that, that his sins come back upon him is so that he'll see, wow, I have done all these wrong things and it doesn't work out. Sin does not pay. It may pay for a season, but eventually we will reap what we have sown. God will not be mocked. But God is graciously, and I'm thankful for this, God is graciously making him aware of his sin aware of, of his uh, foolishness, really, for not trusting him, for not relying on him, for not worshiping him. Everything gets very messy for Jacob, very complicated. That's a complicated courtship. Because some of you might have you know, been off and on with, with uh, you know, your girlfriend or your boyfriend and then finally get married. Yeah, Jacob worked 14 years for Rachel <laughs> after being tricked. I mean, that's a complicated uh, courtship. And it's all because God was complicating it. Again, uh, this isn't his light bulb moment, but God is scratching away at his hard heart. God is, is, is pushing on it. God is softening it. And he's having to do it by putting him under his thumb and making him feel pain, making him feel pressure. And I want to ask you today, how complicated is your life going to have to get? How complicated is your life going to have to get before you are ready to acknowledge God before you're ready to quit leaning on your own understanding, before you quit being wise in your own eyes, before you quit pursuing evil pleasure over God. How complicated is, is your life going to have to get? Now, this is what I think is beautiful. Um, in the end, if you, you know, uh, keep on going, God does, uh, I believe, um, you know, change uh, Jacob's heart. God does fulfill all his promises. God does give him children. God does give him a nation. God does bless all the nations through him. God does even bring him back to his father's house. But man, what a bumpy road. <laughs> Why did he have to walk such a bumpy road? God was faithful, yes, but man, he had to eat dirt the whole way. He had to eat dirt the whole way because he couldn't just trust God and walk faithfully with him. So again, I ask you, how complicated is your life going to have to get before you just bow the knee and say, okay, I'm done. I'm done leaning on my own understanding. I'm done being wise in my own eyes. I'm done following my sinful pleasures. I just want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to give you glory in every situation. How long is it going to take? Because I want to tell you once again, not only are you missing out on on, on your greatest responsibility that you really should be worshiping God, acknowledging God, and enjoying God, you are missing out. Every day, every action of faithlessness, every action of sin, every action of self-reliance is robbing you of the joy God has for you. I mean, that, that's a lesson I, I'm still trying to learn, and I still have to tell myself. I still kick myself, and I say, Jeff, you idiot. Don't you realize that you are just ruining your ability to enjoy God and his goodness? Why would you do this stupid sin? Why would you say those words? Why would you look at those things? Why would you do those things? Jeff, what is your deal? You are robbing yourself of this great plan, great life God has for you. I remind you, God's not looking to make our lives cushy, but he's looking to make them joyful as we trust Him, as we worship Him. And we need that to be echoing in our ears. Not only am I missing the responsibility God has given me as a human being, as a creature to glorify Him, but I am missing my great privilege of enjoying Him every day of my life, every moment. But here's the beautiful thing. God wasn't done with Jacob and God isn't done with you. I wish Jacob had had bowed the knee sooner. I wish he would have given in sooner. But God continues with him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a complicated position. Maybe you're in a painful position. Maybe you're contemplating going your own way. And I'm just going to tell you, it's going to get painful. Maybe you're still truly saved and going to try to walk in rebellion. But let me tell you, God's going to draw you back and it's not going to feel good. Don't, Don't go through it. Don't go through it. Fulfill your responsibility and enjoy your great privilege. And I just want to remind you, all of that has been paid for by the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ. All of your faithlessness, all of my sin, all of my rebellion, all of my self-reliance, and all of yours paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ so that we could be forgiven and have that fellowship with God, and walk in obedience. We're no longer enslaved to sin because of what Jesus has done. I want to remind you of the gospel there. I'm not telling you to change yourself or forgive yourself or earn your way into God's favor. Jesus has done that, but we have to walk in light of it, receive God's grace, and live like he exists. Let's not forget God the way Jacob did. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I wish I didn't see myself in Jacob's story so much, but I do. I confess that I so often forget you, though you deserve all the glory and all the attention. I confess that I so often rely on my own abilities, my own intellect, when you are the only one who can do anything of worth and of value. And God, I confess that I walk in sin that I rebel against you even though you have saved me and made me new, that I still return like like the the pig returns to the mud, like the the dog returns to his vomit. God, forgive me and let me see your glory. And I pray that for all these people. Let us see your glory. Let, Let us see your goodness, your power, and your grace and live in light of it. Thank you for the blood of your Son that washes away all our sins, makes us white as snow and restores our fellowship with you, God. Oh, how I need it, and all these people as well. We are all desperate sinners in need of your grace. God, let those who have not yet trusted you repent of their sin and believe. Let those of us who have already done so believe all the more, love and trust all the more, and enjoy you all the more. Do this by the power of your Spirit in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.